0: optimal health for high performers this is the health upgrade podcast with dr Navaz habib
1: hello everybody welcome back to the health upgrade podcast this is dr habib and i am here with jp how are you jp
0: i'm doing well
1: glad to be amazing amazing so today's topic and uh This was an interesting one. While you and I were researching through this, we drew a lot of parallels to another topic that we've discussed and so today we're going to be talking about angiogenesis. Now angiogenesis is the process by which we produce new blood vessels and obviously as we're developing from the time of being a fetus, throughout our entire life, angiogenesis is going to be something that is constantly occurring. And what we're going to talk a lot about today is the process by which the immune cells, primarily the macrophages, play an important role in the production and maintenance of these blood vessels in allowing for nutrients to get everywhere within our body. So uh, really excited about the process. And I'll let you kind of begin with this initial process of where does angiogenesis occur? What are the circumstances and where does it actually like take us?
0: Yeah. So angiogenesis, as you said, is the development of new blood vessels. It should be distinguished, although only partially from what happens in development, which is actually referred to as vasculogenesis, because in the case of of a fetus developing, you're literally creating de novo, an entire vasculature versus when you have an injury or some other reason for developing a small network, a small offshoot of that network, that's more referred to as angiogenesis. But unfortunately it can also occur in a negative sense when you have cancer and tumors and there's a process of angiogenesis is associated with that. But we'll try to dig into all of those different things. But I did wanna just shout out to, to two authors or two groups of authors for two papers that I found to be extraordinarily instructive about the process. One was by Mariotti et al called macrophages and angiogenesis in rheumatic diseases, which is interesting because again, angiogenesis has a role in uh, autoimmune diseases as well. But that paper really does a great job of talking about the role that macrophages have in both in health and in disease in angiogenesis. And the second one was by Duchenne et al and it's called The Complex Tie Between Macrophages and Angiogenesis. Again, that paper is fantastic. Really talks about, mostly about the, in health, the development of both in vasculogenesis and angiogenesis, the development of, of the network of blood vessels. So again, a fascinating topic. And generally the steps in vasculogenesis, which is again, the development de novo, involves macrophages, helping it really at every level think about it as they track out the, or create the tracks where the blood vessels will go. They recruit in the endothelial cells, which will populate the inner layer of the vessel. They recruit in the smooth muscle cells that will help to create the the structure of the vessels. They actually get involved in another process where blood vessels uh, branch off from one another, where they might not otherwise have been branched off prior to that. Um, They're involved in expanding the diameter of blood vessels. So really, at every aspect of how blood vessels are formed, macrophages play a critical role. Yeah, that's
1: really important to note. And what we know about macrophages, what we've talked a lot about with regard to macrophage function, is that they have this effect of pruning and ensuring that we're not going down a path that is going to be more dysfunctional and that we continue to go down a path that is going to be more functional or more efficient, I guess is the best way to put it. As we know, the simplicity behind the human body is what actually makes it so amazing and so wonderful and allowing for blood vessels to form in the correct fashion and the correct pattern is very important. And so the role of the macrophage here is to ensure that we build out these pathways in the most efficient and effective way possible, ensuring that there isn't any wasted energy or wasted resources going to areas that aren't going to be benefited by the presence of those other cells Mm -hmm. or other markers, specifically like these angiogenic or anti-angiogenic factors that are present. So why don't we talk a little bit about the physiology, the
0: biochemistry of angiogenesis, the production of blood Mm -hmm. vessels overall. Absolutely. Let's start by looking at an area where there is no blood flow. What you have is a hypoxic tissue. There's not a lot of oxygen there. And that triggers the resident cells like macrophages to release a number of different angiogenic factors because we want to get oxygen to that tissue. One of the first sets of factors that get released are Matrix metalloproteinases. These are proteins designed to break down the extracellular matrix of collagen and other things that are present to create pathways or tunnels through that medium so that you can ultimately build blood vessels into them. It's very similar, actually, to something that we're going to talk about in terms of the parallels, but mapping out the structure of neural pathways. So Again, we talked about in the brain on a prior episode. Talked about the role of macrophages in the brain, which are the tissue resident macrophages are actually called microglial cells, and what microglial cells do. So we're going to spend some time later on here, I think, talking about the parallels between the two. But that first step is the release of matrix metalloproteinases to create or cut the tunnels, the pathways, sort of staking out where the vasculature is going to go. It's really important to note that that process is somewhat random, somewhat what's referred to sort of technically as stochastic. The chemicals just sort of do their thing and create these pathways. That is somewhat guided by the cells. But again, even the cells don't have a blueprint for building it out. They're laying out the network really relatively randomly. And so what they want to do is ultimately, as you described, prune that network back we'll get to that because that's many steps later in the process but that first step is forming the network of tunnels where the blood vessels will go and that is also coupled with the release of certain factors that recruit in blood vessel tissue that's nearby so you want to actually because you're going to be sprouting this network off a blood vessel that's already present and so you want to sprout that off there's factors that cause a budding of a sprout off the blood vessel. So you get sort of a break in that blood vessel and a and sort of an offshoot, sort of like what you get with a tree that's is ultimately going to produce a new branch. You get this little bud that bubbles out and then it ultimately produces a, a little stem that pushes out from there and that connects into the blood vessel once it's fully formed.
1: Okay. So essentially we're carving out space initially and the buds will start to then go through after the matrix metalloproteinases are initially sent out in what seems like a random fashion, very cool.
0: Exactly, and oh, it's sorry. important to note that these are tissue resident macrophages. I know we've talked about it before, but let's just spend two seconds talking about the difference between a tissue resident macrophage and a blood derived macrophage. So. What we're talking about are cells that originated way back just a few days after conception that moved into all the tissues of your body, your brain, your liver, and then from your liver into other areas of your skin, et cetera. And those macrophages, they remain with you for life. They independently proliferate. So if you need more of them, they'll divide and they'll give you more of them if you need them. They are different from the blood macrophages that really derive from circulating monocytes. That in circumstances where there's inflammation or damage, they can be recruited into that tissue, differentiate into being macrophages, but they're really a macrophage of a different type. They're temporary, they remain there primarily to be pro inflammatory, they're there to fight as opposed to the tissue resident macrophages, which are there for life, and their jobs are typically homeostatic. They're there to do the housekeeping functions necessary to keep you alive and do the developmental steps in the case, for example, of angiogenesis, where you've had an injury. They're there to sort of create the new vasculature that replaces what was damaged.
1: Perfect. Great overview. I'd like to just draw a very simple parallel for those that would love a a simple analogy here. That the tissue resident macrophages are the housekeepers, the maintenance crew, the security team for the building, where the firefighters are the recruited macrophages that'll come in from the blood vessel when needed in a temporary fashion, fight off or eliminate the threat that is causing the problem, and then essentially die off or leave from that tissue, allowing for the security building maintenance team to come back in and reconstruct and reform any damage that may have been done during that initial fight. Okay, so very simple analogy here. And so that's essentially what we're looking at is the difference between a tissue resident macrophage versus a tissue recruited
0: macrophage, uh, which comes in from the blood vessel. Right, so at this point in the process of angiogenesis, we've done two things. The macrophages have recruited blood vessels to the area. They're going to be the source of the blood supply that's going to fill that vascular network that's going to be built. There's things that are happening with those blood vessels budding and creating a stem that will be connected into that network. But in the network, the network itself has been, at this point, we talked about the release of the matrix metalloproteinases. They've sort of cut a template, if you will, of where that vasculature is going to grow. Um, The next thing they do is they, as I said before, they need to recruit in endothelial cells to come into that those tunnels, line the tunnels, proliferate, and build out the inner lining of those blood vessels. They do that by releasing a chemical called VEGF, VEGF-A in this case. That's vascular endothelial growth factor. So basically, you've got this chemical being released to recruit endothelial cells to come in, to proliferate, to coat the inside lining of that tunnel. Now, those cells also need to adhere to one another. And in time, macrophages will play a role with that too. But they're basically acting like the macrophages, as you can sort of tell, they're acting like chaperones at every step of the process. They don't do every step. In some cases they do, but in most cases they're actually just recruiting in, supervising, and assisting in the cells like the endothelial cells or smooth muscle cells coming in to create the full structure of the blood vessel it's
1: a great way to kind of put it but essentially a building can't run without that security or maintenance team being present and the plumbing and the janitorial staff and the housekeeping and whatnot needs to be done by these particular teams of tissue resident macrophages but the actual work of the organ is done by those organ specific cells so in the, let's say very simply the liver it's got the hepatocytes that are going to do the work of the liver but the cup cells are there as it's the maintenance team or the supportive cells that ensure function is optimized so if they weren't present then you can imagine that in the same way that a building a large office building for example would not be able to function optimally because the janitorial staff wouldn't be present because the plumbing and repair staff and the HVAC guys would not be able to show up when needed and so the comfort of those that are working in the building is minimized because the maintenance teams are not present that's the interaction between these two different types of cells and when we have these particular tools like VEGF or TNF alpha or IGF or or the interleukins that are coming in these are the signals that are being put out, they're recruiting particular types of cells and types of production to occur. In the case of blood vessels, when we're talking about angiogenesis, let's talk about the, very briefly, the layers of a blood vessel. We've got three basic layers in a blood vessel, the tunica intima, which is made up primarily of endothelial cells. And this is the endothelial cells that are brought in by this vascular endothelial growth factor VEGF or VEGF that's going to bring in the initial or the the base layer the layer that is intimately involved with the actual blood that is flowing through it the intima is why it's called it's intimately involved it's kind of right there just outside of the intima we've got what's called the tunica media which is made up primarily of smooth muscle cells so there's a different cell type that's Focuses on pumping the blood or actually allowing for motion to occur through the blood vessel. Smooth muscles can be found in essentially every visceral organ where there needs to be movement. They, they're found very heavily in the heart, in the lungs. They're found in the digestive tract throughout the digestive tract because we need peristalsis to be occurring. Smooth muscle cells are important for that motion pattern to be occurring and very important piece to the smooth muscles functioning well is having a good relationship with those tissue resident macrophages, which are getting information through the vagus nerve or through acetylcholine being produced and distributed through multiple different areas. And then the last area or the last of the three layers of the blood vessel is the tunica adventitia, which is almost like thinking about it very simply, the connective tissue on the outside layers that allows that blood vessel to connect to the organ or to the tissue that it is within. And it's essentially this web of tissue that's going to associate with the organ or other cells around the blood vessel, allowing for uh, connectiveness to occur between the blood vessel and the associated organ. So we've got these three layers, and we need to bring in different cell types that are going to allow for the function and the production of each one of these cell types. So VEGF is going to help bring in the endothelial cells. You mentioned smooth muscle. Why don't we talk about some of the factors out there, the biochemical signaling factors that might bring in some of those smooth muscle cells as well?
0: Yeah, sure. So great explanation of the structure of a blood vessel. Um, And that's part of the maturation process is the macrophages will play. And there's actually multiple different types of macrophages. It's probably appropriate at this point to talk about macrophages that sit within the tunica intima. They're the ones that we talked about. We talked about atherosclerosis and the buildup of plaque inside an an artery or a a blood vessel. Those are uh, are the types of macrophages that get involved in a pathological way of attacking LDL and cholesterol that's been oxidized by reactive oxygen species that might be present. And as a result, they're involved in that process. When they're in a healthy state, they're the ones that are releasing platelet-derived growth factor B and other things that can recruit in a number of different types of of cells, like the pericytes that you talked about. So pericytes and smooth muscle cells have to populate that tissue along with macrophages. And the macrophages are the ones that are recruiting that in to help build that structure through the release of these growth factors. There's more than 30 of them that that are being released to sort of complete the task. There's also sort of perivascular macrophages, which are a little bit different from the macrophages that we've been talking about, the vascular macrophages. The perivascular macrophages are sort of on the outer portion of the blood vessel, and they are likely involved in the the construction of the network of, of collagen and other factors that are helping hold the blood vessel in relationship with that tissue. So it's not sort of a loose hose floating around. But even before we get to the stage of the maturation of the blood vessel, there's two other steps that I think are worth talking about. So you've you've created this network of tunnels, if you will. that's relatively random how it's structured. And you've populated the inner surface of that with the endothelial cells. You've gone through the process of helping to make certain that there's junctions, tight junctions between those endothelial cells. So it's basically waterproof, if you will. And then you've built out that tunica intima and the rest of the structure of the blood vessel, but you need to get blood into it. And so there's a process, which is the technical term is called anastomosis, where you take a tube and you connect it to another tube in such a way that you've got now made the two tubes into one. And that process, so basically, you've got to connect that new network, which is not filled with blood at this point, it's just a network that's ready to receive blood with that budding blood vessel that we talked about before that was recruited in. So, again, just to go through it, at the very beginning, you've recruited in a blood vessel from the network that already exists. It's sort of, you've migrated close to it, you've built out this network of tunnels that are lined with the endothelial tissue that's got tight junctions. And now that blood vessel, we talked about the budding and the production of a stem. That stem has to be connected to the blood vessel network that you've created. And that process again is managed by the macrophage that does the anastomosis. It basically has to clip off the ends of two different tubes and put them together in such a way where You don't end up bleeding and and having a problem connecting the the networks. Once they're connected, there's a next stage of the process, which is really critically important. And for those of you who listened on our podcast about the development of the central nervous system and, and what microglial cells do, it's going to remind you very much of that. That network of blood vessels that was created, that random network is going to have far more channels far more tubes than are necessary so part of the maturation process is going to be to prune away from that hundreds of little capillaries and connections you prune away the ones that don't work when i mean don't work i mean that are either superfluous or they are not connected in the right direction or in the right way and or are constructed in a way, and this is a really important point, are constructed in a way that would cause the red blood cells and the platelets to experience shear forces. As you've got fluid moving through a tube, there are forces on that blood and the cells that are floating through it. And if you force those cells to experience too much shear force, then what you end up with is the activating of the platelets and it causes clotting. It's a very detrimental thing if if clots are floating through your blood. So we wanna remove any capillaries or any connections or any tubes that would otherwise not function in a healthy way. And this is really important because that what I'll call housekeeping task of removing those superfluous capillaries can break down uh, in, in very key circumstances one of them being tumor genesis and angiogenesis associated with tumor growth. But in a healthy setting, what you get is this macrophage. I won't call it the final step, but one of the final growth steps is to prune away from that network those connections and those those aspects of the vasculature structure that was created that are not appropriate. Now, when macrophages do that, they're taking on a role that's somewhat aggressive and they have to phagocytize. That means literally wrap themselves around something, kill it and digest it and take it away. That has a term in housekeeping, which is different from phagocytosis. It's called ephorocytosis. So these macrophages have this ability to engulf and absorb and destroy tissue that is not necessary. In the case of going against a pathogen or something that's a, a, an invader, they do it in a pro-inflammatory way that leads to inflammation. What we're talking about is different. This is a housekeeping function that mimics that aggressive approach. It's still engulfing and destroying and taking away, but it's sort of creative destruction. It's mm-hmm. it's part of a, a positive step. And so we call it something different because it really functions a little differently and it has a different biochemistry associated. We call it ephorocytosis. So that's one of the really important steps in the process is after the network is created, it's sort of overbuilt. And we have to strip away those aspects that aren't going to function properly and just leave behind what does function properly, which then is properly uh, you know, oxygenated tissue.
1: And this is how we can
0: get the most efficient network. So
1: essentially, with the randomness of the boring out of these tunnels with the matrix metalloproteinases early on, we're not getting the most efficient production right off the bat, but the macrophages are then, through efferocytosis creating that efficiencies or eliminating the deficiencies, I think maybe is a different way to put it, where flow may not be optimized, where there may be aberrant blood flow potentially due to construction issues right if if blood flow is not beautifully clean then the shearing forces can be too much for the blood vessel and the risk of tearing or the risk of leaking can be much higher or decreased flow production this is an important piece to that angiogenesis puzzle is ensuring that we have these efficiencies created or the deficiencies eliminated
0: absolutely and it's really important to recognize again that that process when done appropriately is characterized by a non-inflammatory set of cytokines, things like TGF-beta and IL-10, interleukin-10, which are non-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory versus when there's inflammation present. When there's inflammation present, then you have TNF-alpha and other pro-inflammatory cytokines, IL-1, beta, et cetera, that are creating an inflammatory environment. Now, that's not to say that the macrophages can't function in both capacities, and sometimes it's necessary to utilize the tools of one in an application of that's the other. So there are sometimes pro-inflammatory cytokines that are utilized as part of housekeeping non-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory tasks. But overall, what we want is that process to progress in a positive, constructive way. But construction sometimes involves destruction. Classic example that we've talked about before is in the constructing of a building. When you construct a building, part of the construction process requires the building of a scaffold. And the scaffold is literally another structure that's built around the structure that you're building. But once that inner structure is built, you remove the scaffolding. Not a perfect analogy, but I think really instructive here that there's a scaffold that's used to create the network, and you end up creating more than you need, and you have to prune away and take it away. And you want to do it in a way that's not destroying the building that's left behind. You want to keep that functioning well.
1: One would almost go to say that ephorocytosis is almost the equivalent of constructive criticism.
0: Great analogy. (laughs) And just to follow on that, just to riff off, off your riff, the cells that are being removed are endothelial cells and other cells that have Have been used to build out that network and they know and i say no with air quotes obviously they're not intelligent but they are aware of in some capacity the fact that they either are functioning properly and they're on a vessel a specific capillary that needs to stay or one that needs to go and they know that by activity that's going on around them so they're aware of their environment they begin to express on themselves different molecular signals, molecular patterns that tell the macrophages whether or not that that is a vessel that needs to be destroyed. We encountered these signals before in the context of pruning of the synaptic network in the brain. We called them eat me signals and don't eat me signals. And these same signals, these same chemicals are present in this process of pruning of the network where the endothelial cells and the other tissue that's there will have on them markers that instruct the macrophage as to whether, first, whether to find them. And then after finding them, whether or not they should be eaten or not. And obviously the don't eat me signals means leave it alone. It's a vessel that we need. And the eat me signal says, "Nope, you got to take me out. I'm not appropriate here. Take me out so we have a more efficient network.
1: Yeah, that's such an important piece to this understanding, this puzzle of how do we create these efficiencies? And it seems very much like it is the cells themselves that are sending out a signal saying, hey, I'm not being as efficient as I need to be. Here's an eat me signal. And the macrophage will come and perform the aphorocytosis to eliminate those deficiencies and ensure that progress is being made, or at least maintenance is being had based on those
0: signals being sent out. Yeah, those macrophages are pretty remarkable in in the things that they can do. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different steps so far and it's really, you know, that's the core of the creation of the blood vessel and even the maturation, but the maintenance of that blood vessel going forward is, and and the changes that need to happen to that blood vessel based on different changes in in the person's body, injuries that may occur, growth that may occur in the case of women who are going through the reproductive cycle, we talked about that as well, that there's macrophages that are involved in in ovulation. Well, or in in pregnancy, there are temporary organs that form. And when those temporary organs form, they need new blood supply. So there are a set of macrophages that are involved in creating the blood supply and then destroying that blood supply or, or taking out that network once the need for that organ is gone. I mean, you don't want to do it in a traumatic way. You want to do it in a functional way. And macrophages have the ability to do that. So they're really remarkable cells because they're coordinating all of these different steps at the right time, when they're needed, etc. And you can imagine how dysfunctional that process would be if the macrophages weren't present. And so they've done studies in animal models where they've Literally ablated away the macrophages as that process is going forward. Now you think to yourself, "Wow, can that process even happen?" Well, yes, it can. There are other cells that can step in and try to do some of those tasks. But what you see is that what the blood vessels that are ultimately created are really non-functional, and you end up with hemorrhaging problems and structures not being pruned properly and really dysfunctional. Interestingly if you ablate away those macrophages and you start to see that dysfunctional structure being formed, if you then provide back to that tissue macrophages, you can restore that proper growth. So it's sort of like taking the foreman off the construction job. Yeah, okay, construction will continue, but you may not want to actually move into that until the foreman get back and the people who really know, the the craftsmen show up, To tell the workers okay you need to destroy that you need to refix what you did wrong interestingly if what you put back into that tissue are what we'll call m2 macrophages so non-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory macrophages then the blood vessels will be restored to their proper function if what you put back in are pro-inflammatory macrophages then the network does not get fixed it doesn't get built correctly so pro-inflammatory macrophages can't restore the network to where you need to be versus your non- or anti-inflammatory macrophages, which can.
1: When it comes to angiogenesis, it sounds like the building process and the maintenance process is pretty much ongoing at every point. And um, there's an important piece here that endothelial cells are always kind of renewing in terms of if they're breaking down, they're not functioning very well. What are some of the processes that are involved in ensuring that Endothelial cells remain strong
0: and optimal and and renewed throughout our lives. Yeah, well, that comes back to that same efferocytosis function of macrophages. So, yeah, uh, cells break down, cells die. There's damage that occurs. There's a breakdown of that barrier, that sort of watertight barrier that lines the blood vessel. When there's a breakdown of that or a dead cell, there's you know, one of the first things that happens when a cell dies if it dies sort of of its own volition because it's it's reached the end of its useful life there are a set of uh, i love the way biologists come up with names for things there's a set of proteins that exist in the membrane that are actually called flip and why would they call them that because they literally flip over when the cell ceases to function there's an ongoing process that maintains those proteins in a certain orientation. And when that cell dies, these proteins called flipases flip over and they expose on their surface signals that are basically that same sort of eat me signal that says, okay, this cell needs to be taken out. And the macrophages that are there will do several things. The first thing they'll do is sense that flipase is now in the orientation that says, eat me it will then undergo that efferocytosis that non-inflammatory phagocytotic function to remove that tissue and then they will release factors that suggest or promote that the other endothelial cells reproduce and proliferate so that that can be sealed the other thing that happens especially if there's been a fissure that's formed a, a break in the endothelial lining is that red blood cells can get wedged in there they can sort of get stuck In that tissue, and they don't have a way to get out, so they end up dying. And when they die, or they clot off, or otherwise, that will recruit macrophages into the area to again go through that phagocytosis process and release factors that cause the endothelial lining to heal. So part of the homeostatic function, even at the cellular, even below the cellular level, is something that the macrophages are there to assist in ensuring that the blood vessels remain patent. And as you said, everything in the body is dynamic. Things are changing, cells are dying, cells are being recreated. I mean, we lose a hundred billion to 200 billion red blood cells every day. So there's a tremendous process of ephrocytosis and clearance of debris that is required. And that is a big function of what these macrophages do. But in general, This homeostatic process is done in an anti or non-inflammatory way. What happens is when that process gets away from or is is overloaded, being in that state for a very long period of time or chronically can lead the macrophages into an inflammatory state. They sort of gather that maybe something is wrong. You can imagine that if you're walking along the street and you see somebody running by, hmm. Maybe that doesn't bother you because you say to yourself, okay, I see one person running by, everybody else is calm, nobody else is doing anything. That person must need to get somewhere. But if you see like five or six people running by, you might say, hmm, I wonder what's happening. I wonder maybe there's a problem. If you see everybody in front of you running towards you, the chances are that even if you have no clue why they're doing it, you're going to be caught up in it. You're going to run with them just because you will make the assumption that something must be wrong. The parallel here is that if you've got some macrophages doing one job and some macrophages doing another job and they're sort of shifting their polarization every once in a while, that's normal. And no macrophage is gonna get sort of bent out of shape about that. But if there's too much of one thing happening that sort of shifts the imbalance in a direction that you that isn't healthy, then all the macrophages will sort of say, okay, I need to be in that polarization too. And if it's inflammatory, it can be a problem.
1: This reminds me of the social experiment. I think it was done in Toronto, but there was a really interesting story here that a gentleman did a study, essentially in the center of downtown Toronto, at Yonge and Dundas Square, for those who are in Toronto, um, there are a few large televisions and news is playing on on a couple of these televisions i imagine this happens in many other metropolitan centers as well but a study was done where one person would stand and watch the television and see how long it would take for a crowd to gather to get to 10 people to get to 100 people and when there's one person there it's not a big deal people will glance and then continue walking by when there's 10 people there people will glance and they'll start to walk and often will slow down to watch the news as well, regardless of what's on the news. If there's 100 people that are there gathered watching, the congregation is is crazy, and people will gather to that location very, very quickly. It's funny that there's almost a mirror, a mimic that kind of occurs in the social sphere, uh, similarly to what occurs physiologically when there's damage or when there's something that needs to be, when attention needs to be given to something that We will slowly initially gather, but once the gathering is occurring, more and more gathering will occur more quickly, and it actually speeds up the process by which we respond to that situation or we pay attention to that situation.
0: Yeah, it's an exponential growth, and exponential growth occurs all around us. And not to take us on a tangent too far, but I think uh, human beings and our minds are much more comfortable with linear growth. We see linear growth much more frequently and can sort of understand it much better than exponential growth. But exponential growth is all around us from how lasers function to how our bodies function. We just talked about it in terms of how inflammation can sort of get away from us. It's interesting in human culture, how exponential growth has not been understood and adopted to the level that it needs to be, yet it's, it so profoundly impacts us. So the, the classic example is what Ray Kurzweil, the famous futurist who works for Google, talks about You know Moore's law and the growth in, the exponential growth in the power of computing. He uses a great analogy and other people have used it, the discovery of chess. I think we've talked about this before. It's such a great story, I'm gonna say it again. The person who invented the game of chess was a peasant in India, in the Middle Ages, and it sort of went viral. Everybody wanted to play it, and he was brought before the king to educate the king about the game, and the king was so taken by it, he said, I would love to reward you, what would you want? And being somewhat humble, the man said, I just want to feed my family, why don't we use the chessboard as an example of how to calculate the amount of rice I'd like to have, We'll start on the first square and we'll put one grain of rice. On the second one, we can put two. On the third one, we'll put four. On the next one, we'll put eight. And you can see exponential growth. He was just growing it exponentially. And he said, and whatever that comes to, by the time you come to the end of the chessboard, that's enough for me. And the king agreed. But once it got to his treasury to realize what that meant, sure, it's great. By the end of the first line, it's a teaspoon of rice. By the end of the second line, it's a small bag of rice. By the end of the third row of the chessboard, it's, it's a wagon full of rice. And by by the next, it's it's a fleet of wagons of rice. And by the time you get to the, finally, the other side of the chessboard to the end, it's a mountain of rice larger than Mount Everest and more rice than has ever been produced on earth. So the power of exponential growth is so important. And that was a long way around getting back to the fact that yes, in your body, if you have a small number of cells that are very, a constant number of them that are involved in a process that might otherwise be considered inflammatory. For example, in a wound healing situation, that's fine, the body can tolerate it. But if the body gets into a runaway inflammatory situation, we see that with for example in in people who move into that third stage of COVID where they have this runaway cytokine storm, you end up with such a large amount of pro-inflammatory signaling that All of your innate immune cells, all of your immune cells move into that state. It's like an anaphylactic reaction. You end up with that. Presumably, if you're functioning normally, you don't ever get there because your body has checks and balances against that. But there are situations, I think it's a great segue into the next aspect of how vasculogenesis and angiogenesis can go sort of wrong, that if you have that runaway inflammatory, chronic inflammatory state, then you may find that angiogenesis is disrupted. So what are types of situations where chronic inflammation or dysfunctional macrophages involved in in the development of blood vessels might be present? Certainly, we have cancer. We've talked about cancer as being a situation where as the tumor mass grows, there's no vasculature inside that mass. And what you end up with is a hypoxic tissue. So the tissue inside the tumor is sort of screaming for oxygen. And it has the ability, because it's mutated, it mutates into a state in which it's pushing for more blood vessels to be grown. And that's a situation where there's a hijacking of that process, but it's not a healthy process. It's a process being run by by macrophages and by other tissue that is not as functional as it should be. So we talked before about the fact that when angiogenesis is going on, you have macrophages sort of chaperoning so many different steps. And that if you remove those macrophages from the situation, the process goes awry. But if you restore the macrophages to the tissue, it can sort of get back on track. But the macrophages that you use in order to do that have to be the non-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory quote unquote, M2 type macrophages Mm -hmm. that M1 macrophages won't do it properly, that you'll end up with a similarly dysfunctional network. Well, you've got that problem in tumor angiogenesis because the macrophages that are being sort of forced into they're conscripted into action to help build out that network. Is not functioning properly. It's not a healthy environment. And therefore, the macrophages are in a more pro inflammatory state. So they don't do all the functions properly. And you end up with bleeding problems. You end up with a dysfunctional network inside the tumor. It's functional enough to get oxygen in, but it's not as functional as healthy tissue. And so you can identify it by looking at the blood by the vasculature that that's a tumorous area. So that's one way in which there can be dysfunction. There's other ways in which your body can be in a chronic inflammatory state that also causes dysfunction in angiogenesis and in the homeostasis of that network. And one of them is obesity. So overnutrition causes that systemic inflammatory state. And one of the things that is associated with obesity and type two diabetes is peripheral vascular disease. That's where the pruning of the network, I liken it actually to, I make a parallel between this and what happens in old age in the brain. So you've got a network that's already been established. Presumably in your lower limbs, for example, you've got a healthy vasculature that's been built perhaps since birth and maintained properly. It's got the right small capillaries, et cetera. Much the same way in your brain, you had neurodevelopmentally a network of synapses that were built out, pruned properly, and now are being maintained. But we know that in old age, and there's this priming over time and of prior pro-inflammatory insults that can lead to a dysfunction of the microglial cells that leads to them reverting back into an aggressively pruning state. It's not necessarily totally inflammatory. It's doing something that's actually a normal part of development, but it's being done at the wrong time and the wrong way. And you end up with a pruning away of the network that was there. And you end up with memory loss and functional loss in something like Alzheimer's and dementia. The same thing can occur in obesity and type two diabetes in that Peripheral tissue where that network of blood vessels starts to get pruned away. And what you get is an impaired ephorocytosis, that impairment of the normal process of paring away the network. The network's already been established. It doesn't need to be paired away, but the macrophages have moved into that state where they're going to begin to tear down the network that it built. And you end up with improper or inefficient or insufficient blood flow into that tissue and that leads to nerve damage. That leads to uh, neuropathy, which is another way of describing that nerve damage that leads to pain. You have inappropriate blood supply and, and that leads to the inability of the tissue to heal. So for example, what's one of the big concerns that people who have advanced type 2 diabetes? they have foot wounds, they have sores that end up forming that can't heal properly. And part of that failing to heal properly is the fact that there's a lack of oxygen, the macrophages aren't functioning properly, and there's a failure to restore that the oxygen supply by building out a healthy network or a healthy vasculature. So you end up with an impaired angiogenic capacity in type 2 diabetes. So that's another example of where inflammation chronic inflammation can lead to distortion in the in the effectiveness of the innate immune system to maintain or restore the vasculature.
1: This is where I think we can put two pieces together and say that for optimal development and for longevity we have two things that we need. We need an appropriate physiological biochemical signal being produced. Acute inflammation in the right situations is one of those, but chronic inflammation will create dysfunction. And then the timing is the other piece as well, because oftentimes those signals that are being produced, uh, pro-inflammatory signals, are actually beneficial in certain circumstances. But over the longer term in a chronic scenario, we get into a dysfunctional state because the timing is incorrect. And This can occur later in older life, right? Or or in a diseased state or a dysfunctional state, because either the biochemistry and the the chemical signals that are being produced are inappropriate for the time, or the time in which those signals are being produced is inappropriate as well. So it's the timing or the physiology that will create the dysfunction in those tissues leading to those diseased states.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that is really key to battling against that process is activity. Um, we talked about it in the case of your your central nervous system and your, your neural network. You've got this network of synapses that in the development stage, we talked about this, that you have developed in the network in your central nervous system when you're young, a tremendous number of synapses, far more than you need. And there's a healthy process that occurs where you remove the ones that aren't being used. So there's this activity and sensory dependent pruning. So if the synapse is active, if it's being used, if it's necessary, then the microglial cells will reinforce that connection. But in the opposite case, if it's not being used or if it's dysfunctional in some way, then the microglial cells will see the Eat Me signals and they'll go in and they'll remove it. The same thing is seen in the development of or the vasculogenesis or angiogenesis, where the network is created. There's more capillaries and more connections and more tubes than are needed. The macrophages go in and prune away from that network the ones that aren't needed, and you have a functional network that's restored. In old age, you have this process where. That pruning of the network of synapses, that synaptic pruning process goes bad and it starts up again in an aggressive manner. But how do you combat that? You combat that by using your brain, by remaining socially engaged, by challenging yourself, learning a new language, writing a novel, doing things, dancing, exercise. Those things are capable of keeping those synapses sort of sending out that signal that no, no, don't eat me. I know you're back in that mode. All those microglial cells, you're back in that mode of trying to prune this network. I'm a synapse that you need. I'm a synapse that has a don't eat me signal right on there. So don't do it. So you have, even though these microglial cells have moved into that state, they don't need to do their damage. So it's simply one of the, we talked about this, that that use it or lose it state. You need to be using it or you're going to lose it. The same thing is true in type 2 diabetes and in the peripheral vascular disease that we're talking about. The vasculature is there. If you are sedentary, if you are not forcing blood through that tissue, if you're not getting out there, that's why diabetic socks, compression socks that are helping to move that blood through the the network. If you move that blood in and out, in and out, in and out, even though you have type 2 diabetes, even though your macrophages are moving into that dysfunctional erythrocytosis state, you can stave off the damage that would be done by those cells by simply moving blood through those. So get up and walk and move and exercise and you'll prolong, if not entirely inhibit that process from taking hold. I mean, obviously the goal is to get you to the point where you don't have that condition anymore. The inflammation is tamped down and there's ways of doing that. But despite what the media and and some places will tell you, it is not necessarily a completely degenerative condition. It is reversible. And so if you can get yourself all the way there, that's wonderful. Even if you can't get yourself all the way there, simply by staying active and moving blood through the network, you will stave off what other people consider inevitable. Perhaps it's just such pessimism to say that it's a degenerative condition because they're just assuming that everybody's going to fail. I prefer not to think that. I prefer to think that some people will succeed and that even people who don't succeed all the way will gain benefit and stave off the real problems that they have. And the real problems are not minimal. I mean, you can have amputations of lower limbs associated with that peripheral vascular disease and diabetic foot wounds getting infected and other problems that can really detract away from the quality of life.
1: Yeah, there's no question about it. And I just want to kind of drive that point home, I guess Uh, you mentioned with regards to dysfunction and breakdown of neural networks, you mentioned dancing and there's almost like this overarching importance of movement that needs to be kind of brought up because nerves and muscles work together to create that movement. We get a neural signal that is initially created in the movement centers of our brain that then sends an electrical pulse through the spinal cord to the muscles required for those muscles to do the job of creating that dance move or that physical movement that we want to create. We're then stimulating the muscles to do the job of creating that motion pattern and asking for oxygen to come, meaning that the peripheral blood flow is increased because we want more oxygen to get to those particular muscles. And then in addition to that, when the muscles are being used, we're then pumping those muscles and we're pumping that, the way that we get the fluid back into the blood vessels and get the fluid back up to the heart, rather than allowing for that fluid to pool in the legs, which is an important reason for why you would maybe use compression stockings or compression socks, because the compressive effects is, to allow for fluid to get back up. And it's often because of a lack of movement and a lack of muscle function that we get into these states of diabetic neuropathy, diabetic peripheral arterial disease, and we get into these states of dysfunction. It's often a lack of movement that's not driving the, for the blood flow and the neural signaling to be occurring. That allows for the infections and allows for the gangrene and allows for those things to occur in the very, very long term.
0: Yeah. I can't overstate what you just said, the importance of it, because movement is critically important. Walking is an incredible message to your brain, not only that you are, that you're capable of moving, but that you're healthy. We've talked about in the past somatoform disorders and disorders where there is no immediate or easily recognizable peripheral reason for experiencing a symptom like a stomach ache or joint pain or visceral pain or otherwise, that in fact, it's a central nervous system problem. And as the famous philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, there's no problem, physical or mental or emotional, that is so difficult that you cannot gain benefit in that problem simply by walking he's so much more articulate walking is one of the most powerful ways to tell your brain and frankly to tell your body through your brain that you're healthy because if you're capable of moving then you're capable of life and and human beings are designed to walk so getting out and moving is an incredibly powerful healthy thing for you, whether it be yoga or just simply going around the block and walking. If you do it, talking to somebody else and making it a social event even better for your brain. But all of those things are really, really important. In fact, there's such a tie between metabolism and talking about peripheral vascular disease, metabolism and your your mental state Mm -hmm. that researchers are, are writing articles about how obesity can lead to cognitive impairment and how cognitive impairment and dementia are associated with obesity. Now, there's biochemical mechanisms, cellular mechanisms that we just talked about where, yeah, chronic inflammation can lead to that dysfunction of the microglial cells to attack the network in a way that is appropriate but just mistimed. But again, movement and being able to reduce that inflammatory signal and the, the interpretation of the importance of that inflammatory signal, which is happening up in the central nervous system, is so important. I think it's worth going through because there's so many parallels between angiogenesis and what happens up in the central nervous system from the development to the homeostasis to the healing after an injury. It's worth, maybe we'll just list a few of them because there are so many. Up in the central nervous system, we talked about the fact that the way the, the central nervous system is constructed is really kind of fascinating. What you've got is little areas, in the case of the neocortex are called neocortical columns, that are locally active in extracting some tiny portion of meaning out of some signal that's coming into your brain. And that local area, whether it be a single neurocortical column or a nucleus within the brain, it needs to connect to another area of the brain. So the output of that small area we've been talking about has to get to another area of the brain. In order to connect to that other area of the brain, there needs to be a long track of white matter. Now, why is it white? It's white because it's myelinated, and the, the fat associated with the myelination makes it look white, but it's different from gray matter. It's white matter. and it connects that wire into that other area that needs to receive the output of that first area to do its thing over in the second area. And that connection in the development of those white matter tracks, those long tracks of connections, that's made possible by microglial cells positioning themselves along that network, releasing certain proteins and certain signaling chemicals promoted by retinoic acid and derivatives of vitamin A the same thing is happening in the vasculature when you're creating that network connecting the heart to the lungs connecting the lungs to your digestive tract to your liver and all of that is connected because there are vascular macrophages that are secreting the growth factors and really aligning themselves to create the larger vessels in what's called vasculogenesis but it's more like arteriogenesis mm-hmm. Then you have the second step, which is the microglial cells promoting in the brain the proliferation of neurons, proliferation of oligodendrocytes, proliferation of astrocytes. All of the other cells that are up in the brain, and the microglial cells, which are the macrophages of the brain, are releasing the factors that cause those cells to proliferate. Well, you get the same thing with in the vascular macrophages, releasing those growth factors like VEGF and the platelet-derived growth factors that induce not only the formation of the endothelial tip and the stem that comes out of the current blood vessel, but it's the lining of the new tunnels. It's the creation of the blood vessel lining and the tunica intima and the other layers of the blood vessel that require smooth muscle cells and pericytes. And so all of that is being promoted by and the proliferation of those cells by the vascular macrophages the same way the microglial cells are doing it when you have synapse formation that's like the anastomosing of the two blood vessels together you're bringing one network and another network together and connecting them and then pruning that network away we talked about earlier how microglial cells prune the network Well, vascular macrophages are pruning that network after it's developed there's so many connections that link how the macrophages associated with angiogenesis are working in the same way they happen up in the brain with the microglial cells an example that's really very similar is the blood brain barrier you want to have the lining of the vasculature have that very tight junctions well inside the vasculature of the brain you have that the vascular macrophages doing it in the brain but on the outside of the blood vessels in the brain you have a second layer of protection that comes from the astrocytes wrapping themselves around the blood vessels astrocytes are a type of cell in the brain they have what are called end feet and the end feet wrap around the blood vessel and they prevent anything leaking out of that blood vessel and they keep it healthy also from the outside and so the connections between those end feet that sort of prevent it and make it sort of waterproof if you will that's all managed by and promoted by microglial cells when the microglial cells move into an inflammatory state that blood brain barrier breaks down and things can get out of the blood vessel into the brain that you otherwise wouldn't want to have so again a great parallel is vascular macrophages are doing inside the blood vessel the microglial cells are promoting it on the outside it's astrocytes on the outside it's endothelial cells on the inside very, very similar process. And then the final parallel is, oh, you want to say? I just want
1: to draw one more parallel there, which is the intestinal macrophages that are doing the same thing with the gut and having that zonulin occludin molecules being brought and those endothelial cells being tightened up. And there's tons of research showing that intestinal macrophages are doing that same job of ensuring that the leakiness doesn't occur in the gut by producing and uh, reinforcing that lining. So just another parallel to draw there. Very similar idea and something that we can kind of end on later
0: on. Sure, and the consequence of that leaky gut is inflammation. And when the inflammation gets carried away, then you have dysfunction of the tissue and the macrophages themselves. They move into a different state and they cease to be able to do things properly. Another thing we talked about was iron homeostasis or iron metabolism and the role that macrophages play in that. Macrophages and microglial cells play that similar role of managing the metabolism of iron, making certain it's available when it's in a homeostasis setting, making certain it's available. The final point that goes along with this is in inflammation, there is a dysfunction. And over time, there's a priming of these innate immune cells, whether they're in the brain or in the vasculature that leads to dysfunction and having things like we talked about before, peripheral vascular disease arising as a result of an aggressive pruning that's inappropriate. It's a normal function of of vascular macrophages, but it's being done in an environment that's inappropriate and it's aggressively pruning the network away. So you actually lose the efficiency of the network and lose the function of the network that you need to have the tissue safe. The same thing is done in the brain when you have primed microglial cells, whether it's because of repeated trauma like CTE or old age or toxins or otherwise, can lead those microglial cells to respond in a way to ultimately damage the network because they're doing a task that they've done before, but they're doing it in a misplaced way, in an aggressive way, And as a result, you end up with a dysfunction. So lots of parallels between the two. I think it's amazing, even visually, if you look at the network in the brain of neuronal connections and all the synapses that exist, the, the structure of axons and dendrites and their connections, it looks like, if you strip it all away and just look at it as sort of a mathematical image, as a graphical image, it looks like the vasculature. They look the same. So it's no wonder, based on how they look, that the same types of cells would be involved using the same types of tools, using the same types of growth factors, using the same types of pruning mechanisms, that they would build a structure that looks very similar.
1: Drawing these parallels so, so important. And I want to end on one last parallel that I think you can help me elaborate on a little bit, and that is with regards to vagus nerve and parasympathetic involvement in the control of all of these tissue resident macrophages or, or in ensuring, let's talk specifically with regards to angiogenesis today and, and blood vessel development. How does vagus nerve involvement play a role here and, and parasympathetic activation play a role here?
0: Yeah, so the autonomic nervous system plays a huge role. It's one of those, as we've said before, it's sort of like the conductor that's got all of these wonderful players, all know how to play their game, or their instrument and, and to create beautiful music but if they don't have a conductor that's keeping them on point it doesn't sound very good so you have to keep everybody on point point. and the autonomic nervous system provides a great great way especially the vagus nerve a great way of keeping that control on one side of the autonomic nervous system you have the sympathetic nervous system and on the other side you have the vagus nerve which drives parasympathetic activity and whether it is in inflammation That's chronic in the case of type 2 diabetes or obesity, or we didn't talk about it, but in rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune diseases, you have this chronic level of inflammation that's present, or you have just aging and just the process of growing older. You have this overdrive of sympathetic activity that leads to inflammation, that leads to dysfunction, that leads to disruption of homeostasis and moving into a primed posture that can be susceptible to destroying the networks on the other side you have the parasympathetic the vagus which is doing exactly the opposite it's pushing those macrophages and microglial cells into the homeostatic state driving them into a state that's non-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory and able to do their homeostatic function more effectively so Yes. The autonomic nervous system plays a huge role. You see it in cancer. Mm-hmm. You see it. In fact, one of the things that when I first found out about this, and the research that was being done, I was amazed. But one of the most effective, and I don't mean effective in a positive way, but the most predictive mm-hmm. measurements that can be taken as to whether or not a patient who has cancer is going to progress quickly towards death is if they have a high level of sympathetic activation. If they have a high level of sympathetic activation, there's more metastasis, there's more tumor growth, there's more aggressive cancer activity, versus if they're in a parasympathetic state, they have a much higher chance of survival. Now, that's not to suggest that using artificial means or even chemical or or technical means of stimulating the vagus nerve should somehow be considered a cancer therapy. There's some work to suggest that maybe in certain cancers you can, but it's more complicated than that. So. I don't want to say that. But but listen, we all know that one of the most effective ways to avoid getting cancer is to remain in shape, to be physically active, to be healthy in our diet, healthy in our lifestyle, maintaining a, a healthy dose of rest, digest, and restore in our lives in the time of our day. So if we do that, we are restoring parasympathetic activity levels to where they need to be pushing the sympathetic drive down, you end up with a healthier environment and less cancer and less autoimmune disease and less of these diseases that are associated with inflammation. And just to drive the point home with regards to
1: vagus nerve involvement in angiogenesis, a previous guest of ours, Dr. Chris Chura, is working particularly on vagus nerve stimulation for bleeding disorders as well and has some really amazing research that's being done in that particular realm and the technologies that can be created to help to eliminate these types of bleeding disorders that are involved with inappropriate blood vessel function and uh, kind of the tearing that can occur when the stress is too high in those blood vessels. So vagus nerve is potentially one of those avenues that needs to be explored. That parasympathetic nervous system needs to be activated more often than not. And the resilience to be able to shift back, and forth between sympathetic and parasympathetic needs to be the strongest in order to allow for us to be as optimally functional as possible, and to give us the best chance of fighting whatever traumatic stressor pops up that can lead us down that disease path.
0: Absolutely. And, and, there's, and there's early work that supports that. As I mentioned, there is some work already being done in cancer research, interesting work in pancreatic cancer, in breast cancer, in colon cancer, interesting work that's being done looking at uh, peripheral vascular disease, especially in diabetic foot wound healing. That is an area where parasympathetic activation, uh, whether it be through technical means, chemical means, etc., for increasing vagus activity is showing some early signs of positive results. There's reasons to believe that it will be effective in helping to reverse atherosclerosis, not just arrest it, but actually reverse it, which is really exciting. So I think in the future, there's going to be many, many applications of the parasympathetic nervous system being activated, whether it's through electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve or chemical stimulation of the parasympathetic, or frankly, a lot of it can be done by just adopting a a lifestyle change. But we understand that that's sometimes very difficult for people to do, especially if they're already down that path. So there, we're hopeful that there will be therapies based on this and modulating of the innate immune system through the use of the autonomic nervous system that will be effective. More to come.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Lots more to come. And we've got some really amazing things planned for you in the next many weeks and weeks and months as well of phenomenal content. We're excited to share more of how you can upgrade your health utilizing the autonomic nervous system, utilizing the vagus nerve, the involvement of this particular track in ensuring that we can function at a high level long-term and expand our health span. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Really truly hope you learned a lot today. I know I did as well, which is really exciting. And uh, please share this with anyone that you think could utilize this information to upgrade their health. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you.